today in a very competitive environment, hiring for me is about being very clear about the job description, number one, but also, and more importantly, I think is creating a job description that gets someone who sees it to say they are describing me. Welcome everyone to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Okay, welcome back to The Ultimate Shift. Today, we have Daryl Evans, who's a serial entrepreneur, investor, and co-founder of Yokel Local Internet Marketing. You've been in business since you were 20 years old, eight different, six different companies. Yeah, so this is, this is exciting to have you on here. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit, give our listeners a little bit of an insight on who's Daryl Evans? How did, uh, you know, kind of a, where did you grow up? Kind of what got you to where you are today and and wow so i guess we want to have a we want to have a 12-hour episode i guess (laughs) yeah yeah that's what it takes yeah no uh thank you man i appreciate it so you know born and raised here in las vegas uh as you mentioned uh daryl evans i started my entrepreneurial journey around the age of 20 and i say the entrepreneurial journey and for those listening that are into the world of side hustles you know side businesses whatever you want to call it uh, that's how i actually stepped my toe into the world of entrepreneurship but I, I just took to looking at business. Uh, a funny story I always tell is when I used to go to the grocery store with my mom, uh, I'm probably 15, 14, 13-ish. And I always would go to the magazine rack because I really didn't I didn't really want to walk around the grocery store. I would always go to the grocery store so I can go to the magazine rack. And I would always be moving over towards, you know, Inc. Magazine, Business Opportunity Magazine, Forbes, Fortune, et cetera, Entrepreneur. And I think that's just where the bug got started. Ironically, I went to college to be an engineer uh, <laughs> and I went to, to study electrical engineering and I decided, uh, well, I had a job and, and it was at Taco Bell, right? College kids favorite. And I ended up getting promoted as a, a general manager at the age of 20 also. And so I'm paying my way through school, got this little cool little job, you know, since then not working and, you know, having good money in my pocket. So I was learning this idea of business management. Fast food restaurant teaches you a lot. I, I give Taco Bell a ton of credit uh, for learning people skills, management, hiring, firing, inventory, labor costs. I mean, you're in charge of all of that when you're a general manager at Taco Bell. And so I rose to the ranks uh, pretty quickly. I started there when I was 16. I got promoted at 20. But uh, a couple of years into the the first little business was a little side hustle. I would go out to the swap meet and buy uh, t-shirts, hats, sportswear. I'm a sports fan. And I would just go out and buy space at the swap meet on the weekends, take my inventory, pop up my trunk of my Honda Civic and uh, sell some shirts, hats and stuff like that. So I did that for a little while, a couple of years, I guess, but I was in college, obviously. But by that time, I'm I'm bit by the world of business. And so I switched my degree to finance, but I still wasn't committed to being an entrepreneur. I was uh, thinking I wanted to just go down and work on Wall Street and be a trader and be an analyst. So that was sort of the gearing that I had coming out of school. But this entrepreneurial bug was still on me. Fast forward to getting out of college, uh, going into the world of sales, independent contractor work, 
where essentially you're self-employed because when no one, when you take a job and you don't get a salary, you're self-employed. I don't care what your title is, right? But in 2000, I'm, I'm looking at the real estate and financial services world and thinking, okay, I'm not going to Wall Street. Let's go into the mortgage industry because that is financial services for the real estate industry. And that became the day, that became the year, uh, call it 1999, when I made a decision I was going to be an entrepreneur. And there was a little bit more to it than that. Um, I had a personal life situation uh, where my two boys at the time, we had two kids in a relationship in my 20s, uh, we had, uh, me and their mother split. And she ended up deciding to move to Texas. I live here in Las Vegas. They were in Las Vegas at the time. And she decided that's where she was going to go live. And I was really caught as a father trying to figure out how I was going to be a dad to two boys who were 1,075 miles away. And so as the world would have it, that became the decision. That became the line in the sand that said, nope, uh, given the situation, given the travel, given the back and forth, given the summer vacations that you know I have them during the summer and all this stuff regular jobs is not going to work. So figure this entrepreneurial thing out. So I went in all, I went all in, uh, grew the mortgage business and opening a firm. Uh, and you and I talked a little bit offline that, uh, I started doing really well with digital, digital marketing. I started digital marketing around 2005. So I was an early adopter to social media, started on LinkedIn, 2006, YouTube, 2007. I built a YouTube channel of a million views way before you being a YouTuber was cool. Twitter in 2008. And so I just got it. I just saw that way we were using those phones early, the minute, not this is before iPhone, by the way, uh, this black when back when Blackberry came out, when Blackberry came out and you could actually access the internet and make a call and all those other stuff, all those other things. I'm like, yeah, consumer behavior just is about to change. And I just went all in. I did it with my mortgage company. We built an internet marketing division, 2005, but by 2009, I'm kind of burned out on the industry and I didn't see it aligning with my life plan that I'd done some work on in 2005 and six with my business coach, my life coach. And so I said, okay, let's just figure out what we want to do. Jim Rohn has a, a saying that if you find yourself at a place you don't want to be, don't change the goal, change the plan. Hmm. So that gave me some thought process and it took me another 12, 18 months to figure out what I wanted to do. So I put the mortgage business kind of on autopilot. I had a team around me. So I was like, hey, team, uh, I'll keep bringing in the leads. You keep servicing them. Make sure we do everything we're supposed to do, but I'm not going to grow this thing anymore. And uh, we did that for about 18 months. And then I ended up selling my book of business and starting in the digital marketing space with my now partner. And now we're running about 11 years. We've helped uh, you know, uh, probably close to a thousand companies at this point. And we're north of, you know, kind of 300 million in revenue or so in terms of what we've helped them do. And so it's been a fun ride. And uh, I think we've got to cut it right there before we get to 12 hours. <laughs> Great story. So when you're a kid, when you're six, seven, eight years old, did you, what did you want to do with your life? Did you know? Yeah. Pro sports. I, I, I my dad played for the Cleveland Browns for a hot minute. Um, I wanted to play pro sports. I didn't know if it was going to be baseball or football, but, but when you're a kid, I started playing football. I loved the game, still loved it to this day. I actually coached it for many, many years after I got out of high school, uh, coached the youth sports. I played athletic or recreational softball for eight, 18 years. I was a sports guy. I just wasn't built to play pro sports. Wow. What was, what do you think was the, the, you sound like you were a very disciplined young adult. Like when you're talking about, you know, starting at Taco Bell at 16, you're a manager by 20, you're hiring, firing people, probably a lot of them older than you. Uh, where did that come from? Where did that that kind of 
what's what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, just I guess whether it's confidence or self belief of of knowing you can do this job, or you know. Yeah, it's a great question. I wish I could say it, it was something. Uh, listen, my parents worked hard. They were you know were middle class. They both worked hard. My dad, uh, my mom. I we were always taught to do our best work. We were always taught you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. And so when I get this job at Taco Bell, I'm hired as a fry cook. Funny story. The guy who made the phone call to give me the job, because I actually had a job at, at, at a supermarket here in Vegas. It's now called Albertsons. It was called something else before Albertsons bought it. But I had a job there. But because I played sports in high school, when the summer schedule ended, they didn't want to adjust my schedule around my football schedule. So they fired me, of course. So I go through whatever that August to December, and I still would like a part-time job because I want some money in my pocket. And a family friend of mine who actually, I just went to the um, uh, opening night LA Rams game at SoFi Stadium just this past weekend, he was working for Taco Bell and he calls me up. He's about four or five years older than me. He calls me up and says, hey, if you want a job, uh, all we got is a fry cook opening, be here at 5.30. And I was like, I need some money. I'll, I'll be there, bet. So here I am with this fry cook job, right? Back in the day at Taco Bell, people don't know, this is 88. Everything was made from scratch. Not the way you see it today in any of these restaurants. Everything was scratch. Everything was prepped at that restaurant. All the meat was cooked. All the lettuce was cut. All the onions were cut. Everything was prepped. It was a real kitchen back then. Wow. But, obviously the, but obviously the economics of business made it a change the process and supply chain. But we cooked everything. All the fried shells, everything you would eat, you know, we did it all. So I was a fryer and I just didn't know not to do it well, to be quite frank. I, was, I wasn't I was wired that way. When I showed up on the football field, when I showed up in class. Now, my parents are, had a very strict disciplinary rule too. Uh, if I didn't do well in school, I wasn't playing sports. That was just a rule. Oh, like wow. So doing well in school was a prerequisite to play football or any sport or any recreational activity outside of that, going to the movies, any of that. That was just a rule. So the rule was important to say that priorities, it was, it was a way to set priorities. You know, these are the priorities. Uh, you can always get a job. You can always play ball, but the school thing has to get knocked out first. Uh, you can do whatever you want after school, but, but <laughs> school comes first. So I think for me, it was just a, a, a set of ground rules, uh, that were just, they just had to be followed. I didn't know any different. That's amazing. So, so they basically, that, well, they they taught you to to basically follow through. It sounds like to follow through with whatever you're doing, like finish it with excellence. Just do it, and then then you figure out what the next thing is. Yeah, I will say this: that so you could look at the job as a fry cook, right? And you said earlier, you know, you rose to the ranks. I didn't get. I didn't go work at Taco Bell to be a general manager. I wanted some money in my pocket. The fry cook job was open, and I took it. But because you. You know, if I believe that I don't get a chance to make a good first impression and I want the hours, because right? I wasn't the only fry cook, I just was filling the shift, right? I wasn't the guy who worked there all day to fill the taco shells for the entire restaurant. I, I want to make sure I get these hours. So I would learn later that the principle that I was following, whether they meant to teach it to me or not, is prosper where you're planted. Mm -hmm. You see, a lot of us want to go to another place in life. They want a better job. They want a better house, a better car. They want more money in their bank. They want a bigger business, but they're not doing all they can where they are. 
And so spiritually, this is a spiritual belief for me. I don't want to get down a rabbit hole there, but how can you expect to receive more when you're not giving your best where you are? And so in, in, you know, you and I talked about this offline a little bit about spiritual and religion and all this stuff, but this is just more of the, one of those things. Like if you're not doing good with what you have, <laughs> you know, why should I give you extra? Like I do this with my kids. So that's probably where the mindset was born. And it just happened to be that they saw leadership in me or whatever, and they just kept moving me through the store. And before you know it, I had keys and next thing you know it, I'm running shifts. And next thing you know it, they're like, Hey, would you like to run this restaurant while so-and-so this other manager goes on vacation? So they sent me to this restaurant for two weeks to run it. Then they said, Hey, do you want to go to this other restaurant and run this restaurant for the general manager? So I started running people's vacations. Uh, I started, I was an assistant manager by this point. Now I'm running other assistant managers or other general managers vacations for two weeks at a time. And then they said, Hey, we're going to send you to Newport beach to this, to this program. And we're going to get you, we're going to get you a store. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure I really want a store. <laughs> like I'm in college. I don't know if I really want a store. And, uh, but obviously I, I found the opportunity. Uh, I'm like, Hey, if I'm going to be here anyway, I might as well just take the store. So, you know, you said earlier that Taco Bell really helped you with, with learning people skills and things like that. What are some of the tips that you could give us about, you know, hiring and firing and, and, and especially when, when you might be younger than some of the people you're hiring and firing, sometimes there's some tension there when, you know, sometimes people yeah. don't want to listen to the younger guy. If you're at 20 years old, you're still in college, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So what, no what no doubt. Learn when it comes to hiring and firing people and how do you find, is there that secret sauce, if you will, of looking at someone across the table and kind of knowing that that person can, you know, this one's going to work or this one isn't. And how did you find that? Well, you know, it's a great question. And I actually feel like it has become one of my superpowers in the world of business. Cause I, I not only in the businesses I've grown, but in the uh, clients that we work with at the digital agency, when we start growing a thing, we are going to need people, right? So you can bring all the right marketing, all the right, you can put all the stuff in place, all the technical stuff, right? The right website, the right digital stuff. You can do it right on Facebook, Instagram. But at some point, there's going to be a swell of revenue coming in and service or product to produce. That's going to require people. So let me take you to my first three years of that role where I was a general manager and I failed miserably. What do I mean by that? I failed miserably in understanding that as a leader, your job isn't to do the work per se. Your job is to teach, coach, and inspire the work to be done. So as an assistant manager, I was a doer of the work. As a friar, I was a doer of the work. When you become a general manager, at least in this, in this sense, we are transitioning from a doer to a responsibility of the work getting done. And so that requires teaching, coaching, inspiring, empowering, letting people fail, but coaching them back on track. And so what I give credit to at that time, my then district manager, her name was Sophia, and she saw me struggling over three years-ish. And when I say struggling, it wasn't like the restaurant was falling apart, but I wasn't really moving. I hadn't moved my mindset from assistant manager to general manager, even though I was in charge. And she talked to me about this idea of empowerment. She talked to me about this concept called letting them fail. She talked to me a lot about giving them room to get it right. Meaning I would always want to dive in because I felt like I was better at that thing 
So if I saw them moving too slow, I would say, move, get out of the way. Ludicrous, right? (laughs) Yeah. And let me do it. Well, that's just not how, and, and I would figure out later that that's not how businesses grow. It's about building systems, building processes. And so that was one of the, the things you asked a question that I want to tap into. I did figure out something about hiring people. And it was at the time I was at Taco Bell, Taco Bell, not just Taco Bell, but in general, at least back then, I don't know what the statistics are today. Turnover in an average fast food restaurant is 200% per year, which means you're going to turn the crew over twice. Wow. That's it's rough because who wants to work at a fast food restaurant, right? I mean, let's be clear. You do it because what did I say I wanted to work there for? Because I just wanted to put some food in my pocket, some money in my pocket. Is Taco Bell any different than Burger King, any different than Pizza Hut to a kid? No. Right. So if I go get a, if I were to get a dollar more, I'd have been out. <laughs> right. I'm getting paid $3.35 an hour. If somebody would have paid me four, I would have been out <laughs> at that age. So, but here's what I learned. And I don't really know when I learned it, but I started looking at the job applications. So at that time, you would put in a job, a real paper job application. Yeah, I'm dating myself. I'm 51 this year. So a, a real job application would come in and it, it had a front and back page. Let's just say it was front and back. And I started noticing something. If people did not complete the application, all pieces of it, I realized later that they don't complete their work. If they, that became a, a really interesting filtering because I would get 30, 30 applications a week or something because everybody wanted work or whatever. I, how did I filter those? I couldn't interview all 30 people. So I would filter those because I'd look at some people and like, oh, they filled it out. Oh, you didn't go to, you're still in school. You, I, I just noticed that people were filling out the applications in some cases and, and I'm having to guess on the other ones. Like you're, so it became a little bit of an easy filtering system. Like, oh, I kind of get an idea of who this person is. And this person put their name and their phone number and their address and just said, no, they've never had a job, but they didn't fill out the schoolwork. And I started just looking at that. Little did I know that there is something to that. I can't speak to it psychologically, but it seems as though that has stuck with me. And I look at the way I get resumes in in the last 20 years uh, in growing my teams. When I get someone that applies for work in any position, it doesn't matter. And this has nothing to do with it being at Taco Bell. And you could say, well, it's just a high school kid. No, I've noticed this now with millennials. I've noticed it with Gen X. I've noticed it. People that don't complete the process, whatever that process may look like, it it, it almost seems like there's a subconscious telling of their inability to complete the work. And that has just an application here. This is just an application back then. Yes. Yes. Now, there was another thing that came along, and I think someone did teach me this. I just can't remember who to give credit to. And they said, and so in the restaurant business, uh, cleanliness was a big deal, right? Because that's part of how we got graded. Uh, No customer wants to come in a dirty bathroom in your restaurant. No customer wants to eat at a dirty table. Cleanliness was one of the four major categories we used to get graded on. So uh, I don't know, again, who I can give credit to this, but they would say, at the end of the interview, walk them to their car if they drove. If they drove to your interview, walk them to their car. Just see if you can take a peek inside their car. If their car is messy, they're probably not going to be a good person to clean your restaurant. Wow. Because it was a natural... People... It, it's not that everybody wouldn't change or can't change, but 
it, it just was one. I don't know who gave me that, but I, and I didn't make it a big thing, but I would sometimes notice if their car was dirty and it, and it would not dirty as in dirt on the outside, but if they just threw trash in their car, like they'd go to the drive through and just the trash was just sitting in their car. How do you think they're going to treat your restaurant? And little things like that. Um, today, let's fast forward to real life stuff today. Today, in a very competitive environment, hiring for me is about being very clear about the job description, number one, but also, and more importantly, I think, is creating a job description that gets someone who sees it to say they are describing me. So when I write job descriptions to this day, I am trying to find a person who believes that this job description is their superpower. Because if they show up to work to do what they already deem their superpower or their high level of interest, it doesn't mean they have to know everything. But if they deem that this role is going to provide them an opportunity, a gateway, a pathway to perform what they're already passionate to do, then I don't have to get them to do much. I don't have to get them to do anything because they were already passionate about that thing. So I'm very keenly aware of not just saying you need three years of this and you need to have these skills. I can actually get you the skills. Like we can put tools in front of you. We can get training in front of you to get the upskill, up, up level the skills. However, I can't, I can't train you on passion. I can't train you on motivation. You can say you can, I don't believe you can. So I try to look at work opportunities as, okay, here's the technical aspect of the role. It is important to find someone who can do it, but it's now more importantly to kind of paint the vision of where our company is going at this point in time and get that person to see themselves along that vision. And that has been very helpful for me in the last half a decade or so. And it's come through many, many times of getting that wrong. That's amazing because that's that's just part of, I think, as humans or it's human nature that we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And when you draw it out like that, now all of a sudden they can align themselves with it instead of feeling like they have to fit in, if you will. The other way to look at it is um, that the way this sort of phrase works, and by the way, I put this phrase in the job description before the skills, before the job requirements, before years of experience. Basically, I'm giving people an idea of what it's like to work in an organization. And I'll start the sentence by saying something like, the type of person who will thrive in this role is, and I'll start to give some descriptors about that role, right? You're a self-starter. You like to work independently. You know your craft. You're an expert at your, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have one in front of me right now, but I'm basically hoping that they see that, oh, it's talking to me, not just, and by the way, where does that go after they apply? Because on a typical job in my industry now, I put up a, a post in almost any role in my company. By the way, interestingly, after the pandemic, it was ridiculous, but I could see why. But in average, I'll get 40 or 50 inquiries. And then I have to narrow that down to 10 or 15 first interviews and then narrow that down to a five to seven second pool, which is where we'll make our offer from. And the funny part about it is I ask everyone in the first interview the same five questions because I don't care about their skills in the first interview. I care about why they showed up looking for, why are they looking for work right now? Like, And then I go through that. I want to figure out what their motivation is. And I'm trying to figure out two things. Number one, 
are they looking for a career opportunity or are they just looking to fill a void? And that's okay if you're filling a void. I just want to know. But I don't want, you know, because I don't tend to like turnover. You can probably tell from my previous. By the way, I didn't tell the punchline of the story. In the fast food industry, turnover is about 200% back then. I used to run about 60%. So I was running about a quarter of the industry average. That's incredible. Yeah. And and I actually missed another question. You said was, what did I learn? Well, what I learned was give the people what they want and they'll give you everything you want. Right? Zig Ziglar taught a long time ago before he passed away. If you help other people get what they want in life, you'll get ultimately what you want. So here's one of those examples to jump back to Taco Bell, not to be jumping back and forth in time zones. But back then, I used to see a lot of people calling in on Friday, payday. Sorry, they would call on they would call in on Friday when payday or Saturday the day after payday. And guess why? Because it's Friday night and they want to go hang out with their friends. They just got paid. Well, guess what? The busiest days in my store were Friday and Saturday in most cases. So that's the last days I can afford to have people calling out sick. It was always a disaster. So you know what I would do? I would go forward and say, hey, don't get your check and not show up because I'll fire you. Let me know if you've got something going on and I'll schedule you off. Everybody can't possibly have the same day off. So I just decided, go meet them where they are. Ask them ahead of time. And then I gave them the opportunity, even if I had them scheduled, go ask somebody on the floor if you guys want to switch shifts. Take responsibility for filling your shift. So that was an early lesson I learned, which is, and some managers were like, Daryl, they're going to do what I tell them to do. Okay. keep. How's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? Because some people have this authoritarian, this authoritative, authoritarian mindset, like you're going to do what I said because I'm the general manager. No, I mean, no. Okay. So football game you want to go to on the 17th. Okay. You normally work next to Mike. Maybe Mike wants to take that shift. You could switch, go to the football game. Everything's good. Can you go see if Mike wants to do that? And so it was like just deciding to be empathetic to who they were, what they needed. And I just leaned into that way back, you know, come back forward to today. Today, you know, I'm talking to this person now uh, in the first interview, and there's two real things I'm trying to assess. Are they goal-minded, future thinkers? I, I Again, I don't care about skills. I do care about skills to a certain point, but I always know you can learn. As long as you're a growing person, you're going to learn skills, especially in my world in digital marketing. Things change every day. But I want to know if I've got a growth-minded person or a fixed-minded person. Uh, for your audience listening, a great book on this is Carol Dweck's book, uh, Mindset. Actually, great book. I know I sort of developed this before her book came out, but it's a great reference point. Do I, do I have somebody here who's a fixed mindset person or a growth mindset person? And the reason for that is I run a very agile agency, uh, the world of digital marketing. If you can think about what we do, clients come to me, clients come to my company to help them grow revenue on platforms we don't own and they don't own. Mm. And all of it changes. Google makes is somewhat sometimes 500 changes to the algorithm a year. Everybody knows here just at our current time that Apple and Facebook are really fighting about privacy. Now we just lost a lot of our targeting options inside of the Facebook platform. If you can't handle change and adaptation, you can't work in my company. It's just <laughs> right because something's going to happen. And then of course last year was a pandemic, right? So so I'm looking to see is this person built for change? And unfortunately, humans hate change. It's just unfortunate, but it is. If we could just learn to accept change as a part of life, we'll get further faster. The other thing that I'm looking for that seems to catch people kind of weird is I kind of want to know if I could invite them to my barbecue at my house this Saturday. That's the way I approach the mentality. I kind of want to know 
do I think I could be comfortable around this person at my house with my family at a barbecue? And I know that seems crazy, but I don't ask that question. I'm just trying to sense, am I talking to a good human, a good human being? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm on that Because I personally, I, the, the team we have here is we, we work together and we vacation together and, you know, they've oh. families too, but we a lot of time together. We do a lot of dinners together. Uh, we're family. That's, that's, that's right. Best way that I know how to, uh, but then I hear, and not just, I hear speakers say this at times, and uh, just a lot of people that I've heard it so many times over my career in as an entrepreneur and business owner that work and personal life should be separate with your employees. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, what's your take on that? For me, I've found that. Uh, Ultimately, regardless, I think maybe of what your belief is on that, I think when you yeah. apply the principles that you're talking about, people will feel heard and understood. And, and as they're part of the family at work, I just like to also be, you know, we're, we're friends, we're family, we're, we're very, very close, the group of people I have. Uh, and what is your take on that? Have you yeah. seen that work against it or for it or... No, I love it, right? So I think of it as like, there's two ways to look at it, right? If you're a, a small business firm with under 100 employees, you can call it what you want to, your family, you're close, right? So your question and your point is valid. Here's what I mean when I say, do I think, I, could I see them at my house for a party? It doesn't mean I invite my team to my house for parties. What I'm saying is, I want to know if I'm hiring a person with good character and good integrity. I trust my team a lot. I can't have an irresponsible, I can't have someone who's going to call out sick. I I often say that in most small businesses, unlike corporate America, there's no place to hide in a small business. So if you want to be that person and try to hide in the back and team pick up your slot, you're not in the right place in my company. So what... We do in our company, uh, I will say that we have integrated and it's worked well. We used to have, before we shut our office down, before, you know, when the pandemic, uh, we shut down our office, we'd had this for 10 years or I guess nine years at the time. And we shut down the office during the pandemic, but then realized, okay, and we're a digital marketing company anyway, we were already suited to work from home. And we just made a decision about four months in, do we really want to go back to the office based on the information that we have? And the answer ended up being no. So we sublet our office and then uh, turned the lease over to a whole nother company. So we don't have an office anymore. But let me tell you what we used to do. In the office, every other month or every month, every other month, we would have a potluck. Like we would take a couple of hours out every third, every other month, and we would just have this afternoon off in the office to just hang out, to just eat, to do things. Like you said, you guys might travel, do dinners together. When the pandemic started, we were like, oh gosh, we're going to miss that. We're going to miss that, right? So we decided on our all team meeting on Tuesdays to include a couple of segments in the meeting. So sure, we're there to talk business and go over numbers and metrics and KPIs and all that stuff. But we decided to say, you know, talk about your personal success story over the last week. And so we just invited everyone to share one personal item in their life. And so without getting it, be, it becomes something they want to share. I mean, just recently, we just had this meeting a couple of days ago. And just recently it's, you know, you know, I got braces and I w- went to my, you know, sister's 
you know, bridal shower. And I mean, so in these little small incremental ways, we do get to know each other better. I had just gotten back from vacation and I showed some pictures from the vacation. It lets them know how their owner, one of their owners operates outside of life. Uh, my business partner had also taken a trip earlier. So we try to share when our team sees that the ownership is taking breaks, then we give them permission to take breaks. And so it's funny because one of the guys on our team, Patrick, he's our head of SEO. He uh, hasn't gotten a chance to take a break uh, recently because of the, uh, the pandemic. And he's in an area in the Philippines where they're, uh, they've been on lockdown. And so they can't get to certain places. And he just put up a picture of the place that he's going in October, hopefully. And so we just feel like it's, we want to create an environment where it's not so personal, but it is like it, how, you know, speaking of, of another scenario, if they have a personal life scenario, that's going to affect their work. Do I want to know about it? Or do I want them to just call in sick and try to handle their responsibility outside of work? Or, or would I rather know, you know what I mean? So we have also a PTO policy, like a lot of companies. I remember hiring our head of content a year and a half ago, and she had this question during the process. We were making her the offer. She sounded like she was going to accept the offer. And she goes, you know, can you tell me about how the PTO and time off works? And I said, tell me what you got going on. And she goes, well, how does the policy work? I said, well, tell me, sounds like you want to take some time off. What do you, what do you have already planned? Because if you've got something planned, we'll work it out. It was starting in February, wanted to take time off in June because it was already planned. Listen, it was already planned before here. We'll work it out. And she's like, but I hadn't earned time. I said, I didn't ask you to earn time. I just asked you what the schedule was, right? So to me, as an employer, like, what am I going to do? Tell her, cancel your trip. Like, I, you know, I'm quasi jackass if I do, right? So for me, I just decided to be a human. And humans have business life and personal life. And guess what? I've got the same story. You know, as, you know when, I listen, when I look at what I had to deal with when I had my kids out of state, I mean, no corporation probably would have dealt with me at that. But I realized that that was my life. Nobody caused my life but me, right? But other people, you have a life and you have a business. And we're, we have an objective to accomplish here at the company. And when you're here and you're on deck, I want you on deck and I want you to give me my all. But if you're, not, if you're not well, don't give me 60% and try to slough through. Take a day off. So yep. I've always been that way. If you don't feel 100% and you don't feel like you can give us your best of the day, I'd rather you tell me you're not well, get some rest and be better tomorrow. I don't want you in here because you think, oh, you're going to get docked because you weren't at work. You know, the business ain't going to break if you're gone a day or two, right? So I've always just had a more moderately understanding to life. And, and just like my company's, if my company breaks because you're gone a day, my company sucks. That's not your fault. That's fine. Yeah. Once you get past the hiring part and, and you've perfected it down to the point you're talking to, what is the number one thing that you see in, in small businesses specifically uh, when it comes to, to scaling? What's the biggest mistake that you feel like they make as startups or you know smaller company? I, are you talking in the people category? Because there's three big mistakes, right? Scaling comes down to three things, right? There's only three things that's if if you if you can. What is it? I say we can cover all three if you can in the time. Okay. <laughs> so uh, you know, let's let's put it in perspective. There's three true assets to a to a business. 
in the grand scheme of things. The, if you're in a world where you have IP or technology, software, patents, those kinds of assets, that is a value to the company. The, but, but not everybody lives in that software world. But if you are in the world of like my software partner, which is HubSpot, if you're in that world, that's an asset. You got to take care of that asset. You got to keep improving that asset over time. The other asset category is what I call uh, people, but not just the people, the systems, right? People and systems. So to your question, that is probably when I always tell people that that is the customer acquisition, by the way, the, the book of business, the contracts, the cash flow of the business is the third, right? So if you own an insurance firm and you've got a book of business that is $10 million a year in premium, then that's your asset, right? And there's a longevity of that asset for some period of time into the future because of renewals being out 12 months, et cetera. Same thing in the service world. If you're in that kind of world, the asset that I find that is hardest to deal with is the people in the systems. It's the hardest part, man. It is a hundred percent the hardest part. And it comes back to something I believe that I said earlier, which is the fixed versus the growth mindset. When you're a startup, things are changing rapidly. Things are out of control. They're in control one day. They're out of control the next. You have a great client this month, and then they leave two months later. Cash flows all up in the air. There's so much to get your hands around when you're a startup. And then from year one to five, which is where most people fail, right? So they say 90% of companies, small businesses don't make it to year five. And then the 10% that make it from year five uh, never make it to 90% of them don't make it to year 10. The, the, the issue is companies don't take systems and processes seriously enough early in the game. Meaning how do we do it here? Because inevitably you can build a rock star team around you when you're a startup or any stage in the middle. And it happens to all of us. It happened to me last year. We lost three key people in the middle of the pandemic and it hurt. And the, you know, and obviously as you grow, you realize, oh, I didn't cover that area. Now I got to fix it. Oh, I didn't cover that area. Now I got to fix it. But that is the piece that is the challenge. And I don't know if this is statistically nationwide or internationally, but I find that building teams and systems that I remember learning from Michael Gerber's book, I think in 2000, 2001, I read the book, The E-Myth. And I believe it was said something like this as it relates to systems is systems remove discretion about what to do or what not to do so that humans can operate effectively. So if you think about Taco Bell, you think about McDonald's, McDonald's, one of the most successful franchises ever. Uh, of course, they're a real estate company and all that other stuff. But the average age of the person who works at McDonald's, and you can put Taco Bell and KFC and all the rest of them in there, is I think 18 years old, 19 years old. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because there is no discretion on how you make French fries. Mm -hmm. If you're assigned to the French fry station, you don't get to decide how they're going in the oil. You don't get to decide what the temperature of the oil is. Your job is to rip open the bag, make sure the temperature says whatever, 375, and you push the button. You put two shakes. When the button timer goes off, you shake them, you let them sit for a second, whatever it is, you put them in the thing, you put two shakes of salt, and you're done. 
There's no discretion. And that is just, that's an example of a system. Well, it's harder in social and service businesses, but, uh, but there's sales systems, there's operational systems, there's onboarding systems. And I just think a lot of businesses don't take and break down their business into categories that systems can be built. And that was a lesson I, I didn't know how to do what I learned at Taco Bell in my service businesses. Cause I've been in the service business for a long time. I've been almost all service businesses. But I, Michael Gerber got me on the path, and then I worked with a coach in 2002 and basically stopped my business for 90 days to build what I... It's just my own memory of it, but I called it my McDonald's system. And at that time, I was in the mortgage industry. And it involved 58 steps. So it could have been more, maybe it could have been less, but I ended up remembering building a 58-step process where... Each of those steps could be somebody on my team, but at the time it was just me and one other person. Then it was me and two people. Then it was me and three. You see what I'm saying? And I think that's where a lot of companies struggle. And I see it in the marketing space because I get to work with companies, even though I don't fill that void. I don't do that work for those companies in my marketing company. But when it comes to scaling what we do for them, they're generally struggling to find internal team to do the additional work because they don't have the systems in place. To, so to narrow down systems, when you're talking about systems, and I'm following what you're saying, would would the system, the idea, the ultimate end idea of a system is to take the question out of the work? That's correct. Take decision out of the work. Yeah. Okay. So question, decision, right? So let's just take it from the top down. Like nothing happens in the world of sales made. Would we agree with that? So when a lead comes in, what is our process? Right. I remember, I remember a company we worked with 19, uh, 19, what am I talking about? 2013. They were a law firm, pretty good law firm, decent sized law firm, good stuff, but they never did online marketing. We started working with them. We start having leads come in and they didn't have a system for how they were going to handle leads. They sounded, it was like, great, let's get more leads. Let's get leads. Let's get leads. And then when the leads came in, there was no process. What we would yeah. find out, we, yeah. you know, yeah, there's no process, right? A mortgage company we worked with had nine offices in six states, no process. So that's one, one example, right? The deal is closed. Let's say the lead process is there. Now the deal closes. What's the process now? What's the pro now we've got an onboarding or service process. What's that process look like? How, what's our process for managing financing and bills? The, the, every business has these categories and you can put a process in place, which and when I say process, I like to think of it as whether I do it or whether you do it, I might be the owner. You might not, but it better get done the same way. And I believe in that. Daryl, who owns a company, doesn't get the right to say, well, I'm the owner, so I can do it my way. No, that's not setting a good example for the business and the system we're trying to build. So that's what I mean by system. Like, what is the system that, oh, not just because Daryl's the owner, he can do it his own way. No. What's going to happen if you're not there tomorrow? What's going to happen if Sally's not there tomorrow? What's right now? We're building a new system in our agency right now. Uh, we call it. We're calling it our uh, account management backup system. So we have a head of account management, and we have a client care manager. But I'm like, let's get ready for additional account managers coming in, and we have one problem at this moment because he's been the head of that department. So guess what? Everybody has his email address. And here's the risk. The risk is he misses a day of work. 
and they email his name is Levi. They email Levi and Levi ha- and literally legitimately this happened. He got sick for two days. And for whatever reason, because he opened the door for that communication, they stopped sending emails to our client care department. So someone got mad because he was out two days. And instead of them sending the request to the client care department, the service department, it was in his inbox. And he had a life event called catching a cold for crying out loud. The kid is allowed to be out of work for two days because he caught a cold. The client blew off the handle, got a hold of me, tried to go crazy. And then when I unpacked it all, I was like, did you ever send an, did you ever send the ticket into client care? And he said, well, no. And so I said, okay. So that was part of our failure because we opened the door for that communication. So anyway, long story short is that you don't always know what systems you need sometimes until something breaks. Then you're like, okay, should this be a system? I love it. You know, I could do this for a long time yet. We've, we've covered <laughs> questions out of like eight, but I have to go on time and I'm sure you do too. I want to respect your time, but for our listeners, I, I just want to, this has been very educational for me. I feel like I sat down with my coach for an hour uh, oh, because thank you. everything you're talking about, I can implement, you know, we have some of these things implemented in my companies, but there's always room for improvement. Right. And so, so I'm, I'm eating this up. And so, uh, you know, I really appreciate your time and, and the tips you're giving, but let's say any one of our listeners that want to work with you, they want to follow you. Where do you hang out mostly? Where can they find you and so forth? So I'm most active on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find me both ways at Mr. Daryl Evans. And if you want to connect with me through my website, l- learn a little bit more about the work we're doing uh, from a marketing and, and growth standpoint, you can find me at DarylEvans.net. Perfect. And we'll put all your social media links and website and everything on the show notes as well. But um, real quick, last question. If you were given the world stage and what do you think the world needs to hear right now? I think with all of the... a great question. With all of the uncertainty in the atmosphere around all sorts of topics, I would say to the world, try to have a bit more empathy. Mm. Like, I get it. We all don't agree. I get it. We all don't get our way. We're being forced to do certain things we don't want to do. But gosh, can we just have a little bit of more empathy for the entire situation? And I think if, if we could just take a pause and try to understand from somebody else's perspective, we could be a better off world. I love it. I love that. Well, Daryl, it's been nothing but a pleasure on my end to, to get Likewise. to Likewise. Thank you. And I appreciate you being on here. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you having me. Great questions. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best and continued success in the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.